Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, I'm speaking with Phil Mowat, Franchise Development Consultant for Ashton's Consulting. Phil's mission by 2030 is to help over 300 businesses grow and create no less than 3,000 work opportunities. These work opportunities being franchisees and their team of employees. Off the back of this, he wants to raise £30,000 for good causes by personally donating £10 for every work opportunity created. Phil fell into franchising industry in 2009 when his sister, who was running a makeup artist and hairstylist booking agency, was pondering her business growth options. His highlights include working as a qualified business growth coach for the likes of Action Coach, and he also worked for another global franchise as the UK country director for expense reduction analysts, leading a network of over 100 franchise partners. In this interview, myself and Phil go quite into detail about the practical side of the relationship between franchisor and franchisee. I guess quite unsurprisingly, as as that's where Phil typically spends a lot of his time. But um, I think you'll get something out of this, something really valuable anyway. Um, I, I know I did. So hopefully you've got those running shoes on, you've got that beer, you've got that coffee, whatever it is, and you enjoy. See you on the other side. So, Phil Moet, welcome to The Disenfranchised. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Hey, no problems. We've obviously known each other from, from working together in the past, but um, how are things for you at the moment? How are the family doing? Yeah, all good. Kids are back at school, which is a relief. Yes. And uh, industry seems to be picking up and um, everyone seems quite happy. So let's hope we don't go back into another lockdown. It helps that the sun's shining today as we're recording as well. Um, yeah, I keep banging right. on about it, but I love the sunshine, especially this time of year. It's great. But um, anyway, you talked about the industry being good at the moment, so we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit. But before we do, I just wanted to start like I do with everybody and, and find out what was your first job after education? Uh, first job after education was um, finishing uni and I was in the events industry. So I was working as a venue manager, um, basically selling venue space and then organising events um from the venue perspective so working with event management companies um putting on conferences dinners um fashion shows car launches so big big old spaces that were holding big big corporate events wow okay so what, what was your role within that were you, were you actually organizing the events or promoting uh, so event sales manager was my official role but it was a selling the space and then being the venue contact not not necessarily being the the operational person on the day, but liaising with the event management company to ensure that they've got access and um, they've got the things that they need from the venue. Cool. So, is that something that saw you travelling around the UK or further afield? Uh, no, because I worked at specific venues. So I worked at a venue called the Brewery, which is um, owned by Whitbread at the time in the city in London. Um, and then I worked at the Royal Horticultural Halls, which is part of the Royal Horticultural Society. So I don't know if you remember, the B there was a BBC IDENT 
with um, some women coming down from ribbons. Okay. In the grand old building. Oh, uh, yeah, that, I remember now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the Lawrence Hall at the Royal Horticultural Hall. So that's the sort of thing we did. We would get an inquiry from a TV company wanting to use the space. And then we would sell the space to them and then manage manage the event and they would come in and do what they needed to do. So that's quite an exciting first job then really, isn't it? So how, how comes you're not doing that now? Where, where, did, where did your career go after that? Uh, well, I think, like I say, in my bio gets um, it's fun when you're 23, 24, 25 years old, but working 8am till 11 at night, quite a few week, uh, quite a few days of the week. Um, I think it's more of a young person's game. So uh, it, it was fun whilst it lasted, but probably not practical going on. And then obviously the opportunity to work with my sister came along. Um, and that's how I got into the franchise industry. Okay, so th- this this work with your sister, it's with a company called Beauty Call, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Beauty Call is a, a hair and makeup artist booking agency. So we have a network of hair and makeup artists across the country um, that we supply primarily for brides. So ladies getting married in Newcastle, she'll inquire with us on our website and we will match her up to our local hair and makeup artist in the area. Um, My sister was a makeup artist, so she started the business. She employed or she had a few of her friends that were also makeup artists. And she was giving out work to them and thought, well, I'm giving work to them. I might as well take a commission from that. And thus the the, the agency was born. Um, she uh, went and had a little girl and my dad got involved um, to, to help look after the business for a few months. And he suggested that she's got a great business in order to grow it, that she should look at the franchising model. Okay. So phone call came in to me. I was 28 years old coming to the end of my love for events. Um, and me and my dad hopped on the train to the NEC and to the franchise exhibition um, and had a walk around and met lots of people and bought some books and gathered a lot, a lot of information up. Um, and luckily enough, my dad said, right, he'll put in a bit of investment just to see us through for the first few months. Um, and it felt like I was back at university with a, with a real life project. Wow. Um, so I, I I took advice on board and from from my learnings from what I'd read, we basically started to to put the business together as a franchise model. Cool. So just going back to you said you went to one of the, one of the franchise shows. How did you find it? It was twelve years ago, Ed. So <laughs> my memory's not that great, but it. Um, yeah, it, it, it was probably, it was pretty bigger in those days than it is now, in all honesty. Um, and yeah, it was an eye opener in terms of maybe how many brands are out there that you don't know that are franchises. Um, you weren't aware. We all know the big ones, but some of the smaller brands, you you would never have guessed that they were a franchise model. Um, but we went along and we met um, lawyers and consultants and and that's the sort of information that we were after. Um, but obviously it, it, it hit, the, hit the spot because we carried on with the process of doing what we wanted to do. Yeah, sure. And I think that's interesting, actually, because I, I don't think I realised that 
uh, the, at these franchise exhibitions, there would be consultants and lawyers and 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 people to to help you to understand the industry as you know as well. And, and I don't think that everybody knows that really, do they? Um, no, I think and there were probably seminars of how to franchise your business or how to grow your business. So whilst the visitor numbers for that are much lower than potential franchisees that that is part of the industry so um those, those sort of people do attend excellent and um i know i know it's 12 years ago but were you ever looking online for for advice and and where did you find it um can't remember in all honesty we, <laughs> must, we must have been doing a little bit i i remember I, I we bought a couple of books or in fact we won a book I think we we attended a talk of a lawyer and then he said the first person to come to our stand gets my book so i think i pegged it and and got to the stand first and and got this free book which i've still got today um <laughs> but i'm sure there would have been research done done online and we probably picked up a lot of prospectuses and a lot of information from other franchisors to see how they presented it to see what they were saying in their literature um, to give us an idea of how to, to model the business. Cool. So it's quite a, a, a leap really then going from um, working within the events industry, managing events to all of a sudden being a big part in a, a business that's looking to franchise. What what challenges did you face? Um, first of all, taking a, a paper-based dining room table business in all honesty, yeah. to a to an automated, systemized business that can be seen. So an important thing for franchisors is that they know what their franchisees are up to, whether that's how many bookings they've got or what revenue they're doing and having that visibility. Um, so that was a challenge because my sister was a makeup artist. So her skills were being in a hair and makeup artist and not necessarily having had a, a full tech um, system developed. So that was the most important thing to, to transfer it from that paper-based business into an online business. Um, so we worked quite quickly with a developer that I knew in order to build that system. Once we had that system in place, then we knew, okay, well, we've got something that franchisees can use and we can see what they're up to and we have control. Uh, we mentioned it earlier in our pre-chat, but controlling franchising is one of the most important things. Um, so once we had that in place, we we're in a position where we could bring on some pilot franchisees. And what we did is we went out to our current network of makeup artists and, and picked three different people in three different situations to test our processes and test our systems before we went and launched and started to sell actual franchises. Cool, so you mentioned control there, and I guess for some potential franchisees, that might sound like a, a scary big brother thing, right? But that's not the reason why they, the, that control should be there, is it? No, I, I, I'd say for us, it was all about managing performance and helping to manage performance. So um, our, web, our website was, the generator of inquiries. So any inquiry that came in, whether it's from social media or via the website or via a phone call or an exhibition, that would all feed into the inquiry form, which would lead into the booking system. Um, okay. 
from that, we can then tell, well, franchisee number one has had 30 inquiries this month, but only converted 10 of them, 30% conversion rate, 33% uh, conversion rate, whereas franchisee two has only had five inquiries, but converted all of them. Okay, so we know what we need to focus on. Franchisee needs to focus on conversion rate. Franchisee number two needs to focus on driving more inquiries in. So um, the whole time it's about helping the franchisees to improve their business and get more out of it. Yeah, so it, that, that control piece then is more so that you can understand and provide that support in the right places. That's, that's quite interesting. It's something I hadn't really yeah. thought about before. Um, of, of course, we also are very interested in what their turnover is because <laughs> we took a percentage management service fee every month. So we needed to have clarity on what their figures were in order to charge the correct amount. Yeah, but it's a win-win scenario, those managed service fees, right? That's um if if they're successful you're successful so that's that's what kind of drives that relationship yeah. um so beyond this then you then started to work for for other brands within the franchising space uh and some big brands in there like action coach and expense reduction analyst which is obviously how how we know each other um and, and i guess you saw and supported a lot of uh franchise partners during during your time there coaching them through building their own successful businesses but i'm wondering what was the the main challenge that they typically faced as as franchisees within any network i guess i think the main challenge for me or the support team is probably the fact that you have franchisees who are a day in versus a franchisee that could be 15 years in and you've got completely different set of skills and personalities and knowledge and experience and if you're an employer and you wanted to put your employees on a training course um it's much more likely that they've maybe been as part of the team for a, and they're they they're together already whereas your messaging as a franchisor needs to be so different to a brand new franchisee to an experienced franchisee and the support needs to be so different so that was the challenge for the franchisor i think challenges for franchisees i think ultimately any business is about sales at the end of the day without sales you don't have a business so some franchisees would come in thinking oh, I don't need to do any sales, I'm part of the brand now and it will all happen. But from my perspective, the last thing a business owner should give up is the sales. Um, they should delegate out other bits, accounting, admin, maybe doing the actual jobs. But I think business equals sales. So franchisees, any franchise, potential franchisee, you've got to realise you're going to have to sell. Um, and you're going to have to sell to make your business what you want it to be. Um, and therefore, franchisees that are maybe not doing as well as other franchisees that are doing well, probably the difference is the sales. And for some people, they may not, just not be able to grasp it. Yeah, that's interesting. So how how does somebody then maybe prepare themselves for that? And that may be a very broad question, but be interesting to see if you've got any thoughts around you know how do, how does a potential franchisee prepare themselves to to be ready to to, to be in that mindset where they, they're going to go out there and sell their business whether it's a franchise or, or otherwise 
Well, I think I think lots of people have the mindset of, oh, I'm not a salesperson. No way, I don't do sales. I'm I'm not cheesy. I'm not selling pens or photocopiers. Or no offense to those people, those salespeople, but every person is a salesperson. We're always selling ourselves. If it's a conversation with anybody, it, we are in a position where we are presenting ourselves. And at the end of the day, if you've got a service or a product that is beneficial to someone that buys it, you should look at it as though you are helping that person to buy rather than you are selling something and jamming it down their throats. So first of all, probably flip that mindset to go, I love what this business offers. I can, I share the vision or the values and the mission statement of that business. I know I'm making a difference to the people that are buying off me and I'm helping them to buy this product because the product or the services, in my opinion, the product or the service that they should have. Um, alternatively, go on some sales training. <laughs> so Sandler franchise, yeah. they do some amazing sales training. Um, or you can get it online on YouTube or Udemy or just brush up on the basics and fundamentally be a nice person that people like and sales will will come your way if as long as your service or your product is is a good offering yeah i think having that belief in your your service or your product is is key and then i i think sales is maybe a a, t a term that yeah scares people but actually what it is is um effectively communicating with another party to help them to understand why why you can help them that that's ultimately it, isn't it? It, it, it put it in a nicer way you're just talking through identifying their challenge and and showing them the path forwards and how they can overcome that challenge so yeah having that mindset where you know sales is not all just um <laughs> selling pens and printing solutions you know and and knocking on endless doors although that 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 you know maybe is part of it but there's there's another side to it as well that is is, is less scary or less um Less of a bad thing, I guess. Yeah, but I, I think there's a big thing in in loving what you do, and and in yeah, just being a part of your industry. So it's it like makeup artists for weddings. You are making women look amazing on their on their biggest day, one of their biggest days of their life, and the they'll cherish those moments of when they're looking back at their photos of how good they looked on the day <laughs> so you just got to go all in and, and be a part of the, the brand that you are part of yeah yeah it's true i mean i i think of era and actually what we do for businesses is allow them to grow build uh, new teams um develop a new product whatever they want to do with their businesses and that's that can have a real positive impact on local communities as well as uh, with larger organizations as well so again if you believe in that if you think that's a good thing to be doing then you know that's that's it that almost becomes easy to sell right when you believe in in the product or service you're offering yeah well it's a massive thing for the younger generation isn't it purpose and what the values of a business are and the the interesting fact of millennials think they're in a job for a long time if they're there for 18 months there's <laughs> There's not the loyalty like our parents had of pensions and things like that, but um, they they want to know what the company's about. They're making a difference and 
they're benefiting the world by doing what they're doing yeah maybe not all millennials I'm, i think i'm just <laughs> scraping as a millennial and uh I, i've stayed with companies for eight years six years <laughs> you know and and two and a half now so it's yeah the it's younger not... millennials yeah, all right yeah <laughs> i'll take that <laughs> I think everybody's different, right? Everyone's got an individual approach to things, but I, I, I agree with you on the value side of things. I just think it's just been labelled in different ways in different generations, you know. Um, there we go. So in terms of the support then that franchisees get, obviously you've been providing that to um, uh, obviously a, a high degree in, in, in some of the businesses that you've worked with. What support should somebody looking to get into franchising though expect you know and i and i highlight the word expect because i think sometimes there's maybe an expectation that it should all be done for them but yeah what what sort of level do you think they should expect well it does depend on the business and it does depend on what the management service fee is going to be so someone charging four percent management service fee what are you going to expect for four percent versus 25 or 30 percent management service fee you'd expect everything on a plate so um yeah it's a it's a bit of a tough question to ask specific uh, to answer specifically but fundamentally i think it's about the support and communication that you are part of a network that if things are going well you're going to get supported and if things are going not so well you're going to get supported and you will be offered every chance to to help you get to where you want to get to um i think where there are issues between franchisors and franchisees it could be potentially where the franchisee just expects the franchisor to do everything and the franchisee sits back and goes well why isn't it happening um but part of the recruitment process or the 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 franchisee coming on board should be that communication around what the obligations are on each side and that's obviously covered in legal agreements and information packs um, so everyone's very clear on what they they need to do in order to make it happen um, but it's hard work you are starting a bit you are running a business so in my opinion you do need to do the work in order to get the results um, but I think a franchisor should be available to uh to to be to be spoken with and to to guide and to help yeah it, it makes sense doesn't it i guess that's what you're you're paying for isn't it is that support and guidance um and it, i i actually think that franchising or buying into a franchise brand is very similar to self-employment right um it just is actually a way to to shortcut some of those early parts of the process so for for you starting you know ultimately a, a business from scratch really wasn't it i mean well not not completely from scratch but from very early beginnings um so you've you've seen that side of it and you've seen the side of it from a a, a franchisee perspective what do you think are the main differences beyond that support but the main differences between self employment and franchising is what i'm asking it's just all about the network isn't it so having a WhatsApp group of other of, of, of the network and being able to go, hey, I've got a problem with who can help. And then ping, 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 it comes straight back with the answers. Whereas self-employed, you'll be using resources 
that are out there on the internet and maybe a mate that runs a business. So I think it's all about having people to talk to. So a good franchisor would have probably in-house coaches or coaches that help franchisees. They'd probably have a mentor scheme to match you up with another franchisee. Um, it's good to talk, isn't it? So I think <laughs> with the old yeah. expression and obviously the huge mental health issues like that have come to the forefront in the last few years, everyone now understands about the need to talk to people. So yeah, quite often when I'm coaching or consulting with a franchisor, it's a it's more of a chat because it's they can't talk to their partner about it because they the partner doesn't understand it or it's just given a bit of advice here and there or okay well what are your options you could go a b or c and then we get to a decision that they want to go down route c for example um so yeah just communication is is i think one of the most important things and being part of a network yeah i think that's an interesting point you raise about the the mental health side of things because um, I think it's easy for people starting up their own business to not really have anyone to complain about, <laughs> come complain about, about stuff too, you know, especially as you say, if, if you're talking to a partner or a friend who doesn't really understand the world that you're in, um, mm. yeah, it can feel quite lonely. Whereas just having that ear of somebody who, who understands, who's maybe been through it before can offer you guidance and, and advice around that, that challenge. And it may be something really simple, like you just had a bad day, you couldn't get hold of anybody or something like this. You know, it's it's really useful to have those people there that have experienced it, whether that's a yeah a franchise consultant or somebody from within the network. I think it's really important. Yeah. So you mentioned there about business coach. So obviously this is something that you've done um, in your role, I guess, as um, franchise support manager, and and I guess in your your role today, really. So I think. Um, some of the biggest challenges people face is having that mindset from going from being an employed person into being right it's all on me now and you know maybe I've got a goal but how do I actually achieve that that's quite a, a challenge so in, in your experience what's the best way to approach goals that somebody may have and, and how to get there Account accountability I'd say is the word so okay. I'll use an example so I I'm, I was tra I'm training for the London Marathon, was meant to happen last April, then this April, now next October, uh, or this October. So my accountability on that and my goal is to run so many kilometres every month. So my accountability is a sheet on the fridge where I mark up the runs that I do and I add up the totals so my kids and my partner can see that I am doing it or I'm not doing it. And if they see that I haven't written up a run this week or written up the kilometers, they're on my back to say what's going on. So running the marathon is, is quite hard work and you've got to put in the groundwork to make it happen. So if I didn't talk to them about that, or if I didn't have that sheet up, could quite easily let it slide and oh, I'll just, I'll pick it up next week or I'll do it next month. But such a simple thing about that, that visible, having someone to hold me to account in order to get to achieve what I need to do it that works for me so business is the same I think you don't want you don't want someone going oh yeah it'll be all right just do it next week 
it's uh no you've told me that you want to do this by this date and you need to do all of these things why haven't you done it um and questioning why haven't you done it and and this is where coaching comes into play of that whole accountability thing yeah so do, do you think um the, the coaching side of things then do you think that somebody can start a business or, or run a successful business without a coach or do you think it's essential or you know i'm curious to find out i think it would depend on the person um like some people are so goal driven and they're so energetic and enthusiastic and they can crack on but then again they might need someone to help them get organized and focus on the right things um but I think we can all do with some accountability and and that's why when we're in jobs we have bosses and the bosses have bosses and it, it's the reason that maybe employed work works because you've got that structure in place um so I think if you've come from maybe an employed role where you've been managed and you are suddenly working by yourself um then i would highly recommend that you have someone doesn't have to be a paid business coach it could be your partner or your uncle or your oldest kid or whoever it's going to be that's just going to go right have you been doing the things that you said you're going to be doing um so yeah i think the answer would be you need someone and that person needs to be the person that's going to be that that person that just gives you that little kick in case you need it yeah and i think also you've got to 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 flip the way you view yourself you're not an employee anymore you're the manager now of of your business or you know you're in charge yes you still still get some support but um actually it's on you now all of a sudden isn't it and um yeah, yeah i think people have got to be prepared for for that change in in its lifestyle i guess isn't it really um before they before they part with their money or do anything mm. so really interesting i think it's and we've learned this over lockdown working hours and, and working patterns but it is easy to go oh I'll, I'll just knock off early today and that's cool as long as you've got a plan to go well by the end of this week i i, I wanted to achieve this this and this and as long as by the end of the week you've achieved that crack on knock off early every single day if you need if you want to but as long as you know I must get these things done. Um, and if you haven't got them done, then it's your own fault and you need to find the time to get them done. So it, yeah. I guess it offers just... flexibility, right? It, it offers flexibility, but you've still got to put the work in somewhere. So yeah. uh, what, what hours do you work generally? Um, I'm generally at my desk at 8.30 once the kids have gone off to school. Um, Monday morning, I was doing a 15k run at 11am. So, so that's because I've done a couple of hours work. It was a beautiful day. I hadn't run over the weekend and I thought I'll get out there. And that felt amazing because I'm like, cool, I'm doing a run when if I was in a job, I'd be having a cup of tea. So some nights I, I put on LinkedIn the other day, when do you find your flow? It was literally 1.30 in the morning and I was still at it and I was on top form. So for I started work at 10 o'clock that night and worked through till 1.30 in the morning. Other times it might be, yeah, just do a standard nine till five day. But with, with my work as a consultant, it is very much project led. So we know we've got 
deadlines and certain things to do by certain days or weeks. So we go, okay, well, we'll get the prospectus done by this day. And therefore I know I've got the, the bits of work to do in order to hit that target. Cool. Um, so, so you mentioned that your consulting business that you, you run now, and that's within the, the franchising space, obviously. Um, why, why stay in franchising? Why not look to, to provide a consulting service to, you know, any business out there? Uh, well, I hope I know the franchising industry quite well now, <laughs> seeing as I've been in it since 2009 and being a franchisor, being in support roles, um, acted i was a business coach action coach so i was doing what franchisees were doing without being a franchisee so hopefully i've seen a bit of everything um so i now work for ashton's franchise consulting which is uh, one of the main consultancy firms in the uk um and i i like franchising i love franchising i like helping smaller businesses develop into bigger businesses um, just like we did with Beautical. And, and it's exciting to see someone who has got a business that's working, that's been operating for a year, a couple of years, three, however long, as long as they've been working and it's it's been making them money and it can be replicated, um, then there's the chance that it could be franchised and it could grow into a bigger business. Cool. So I guess that's quite exciting to see then that opportunity open up to other people and, you know, it can allow them to have this flexible life or, or, or the lifestyle or the income or whatever it is that they want. So, mm -hmm. it, yeah, I was, uh, was going to say, so are you, are you still kind of excited by that, that prospect? Yeah, I, I like, I like being involved in, in the early stages because it's exciting for them. What, at the same time, it's nerve wracking for them because they're putting in a lot. They've got a good business. They could just carry on with that business and do well, but they've taken the, the, the leap to expand and grow and effectively change because a, a person running a plumbing business suddenly is not just being a plumber. They are running a franchise plumbing business. So it's something that we explained to clients early on that actually you're going to have two different roles here and are you still going to be operating your your business the first franchise because you've got to understand that managing a network of franchisees is completely different to plumbing for example um so yeah i i, I enjoy seeing that excitement but that that pressure in a way for them and helping advise them on the best routes and the the documents that they need in order to put themselves in the best possible position to start advertising and take on pilots and then take on franchisees um, and helping them throughout. So helping them with training and coaching and, and an ongoing basis. Cool. So in, in the franchising industry, then you're obviously quite passionate about it. What's been the most kind of inspirational thing that you've seen? So the, the most inspirational thing I've probably seen is the BFA Awards a couple of years back. Um, can't remember the, the, the brand or the guy's name, but he won the Young Franchisee of the Year Award. He had massive hair and the, the, the excitement and the delight on his face, but also on his team's faces 
was that was just incredible it shows, you saw how much passion they had he had for what they were doing um and they were just hashtag loving life sort of thing. <laughs> it was like they were all in on what they do and they were so happy and excited to have won that award that it it was probably life-changing for them because it's something they've worked towards and then been recognized for um right. so yeah apologies i can't remember the name but it was that that moment it was inspirational so how old was he roughly probably 23 24 i'd say Wow, and he's already winning awards within the franchising yeah. industry. That yeah. that means he's built up something which would have been a couple of years. So he'd have been young when starting up his franchise. And I, I think there's this kind of misconception sometimes that franchising is for people in their 40s and 50s and, and upwards, right? But I guess seeing someone like that have such a big impact at such a young age, it, yeah, it would be pretty inspiring. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm... I'm... I'm not anti, but I'm 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 much more the root of go out and learn learn something and then start a business rather than going to university. I went to university myself, but I think the the nine grand a year fees, yes, it gives you some great life experiences, but for me and my my kids, I'll be highly encouraging them to find a passion, go out there get trained up in it, learn it, become the expert in it, and then build a business around it. Um, so for, for kids thinking about university versus working versus running a business, yeah, you need some, some like, um, I was going to say balls, but I can't say balls. <laughs> okay, um, life lessons. You need, you need some oomph inside you to really go and push on with running a business from such an early age. But people do it and what why not why not crack on and do it yeah sure i think um this then brings up another um idea that's that's going around the franchising world at the moment and that is uh the the possibility of buying a franchise for your child you know so um people can actually rather than investing in a university take that what is it nine thousand a year so 18 27 grand whatever it may be and investing that into a franchise for their their child and supporting them through building out their own business which is probably a uh, not all, not in all cases but could be a good investment for life and I, I found that really an interesting concept as long as as long as the interest comes from the child and not from the parent of happy christmas here's a franchise <laughs> like my my dad worked the um canned food trade and he asked me when I was leaving school if I wanted to get involved in tin tomatoes and olive oil. And at that stage, I was like, no, no way. Sorry. But it, you need to follow your passion, don't you? So, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, it sounds like a great idea to put that investment into a business rather than into university. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an idea and it's a thought, isn't it? That I think um, not not enough people perhaps consider. So um, other, other things I've heard recently is maybe there's opportunity for apprenticeships where you go and work for the brand first and then become a franchisee off the back of it, you know, paying paying off the fee as you go along, which I thought yeah. was quite quite interesting because there are a lot of young people out there that have got the the drive and the ability to be able to build a business. They just perhaps haven't been educated or don't know how to. We did that actually with one of our franchisees at Beauty Call. So she was working, she left her job, 
we trained her up as a makeup artist so she wasn't a makeup artist already um and she worked for us so we uh we gave her a free training course in return for doing some work for us she got to know the brand and the business and she's still a franchisee today so and probably one of our best franchisees so it's it, it yeah it getting involved in a business and learning it and then moving up the ranks is is definitely a way forward cool that sounds really good so i'm going to move on to just a, a couple more questions before we we, we wrap this up so uh, the first one, I just I like to find if there's any strange or weird or funny stories within people's careers because sometimes they're the, they're the best stories. So have you got any you can share with us? Um, it's not necessarily a weird or a strange, funny story, but um, 2009 NEC exhibition met, met Nick Williams. So Nick Williams is the managing consultant at Ashton. So got on the train, got into franchising, met a guy, got some advice off him. 12 years later, I'm now working with him. So <laughs> what, you, you've got to keep, keep your contacts close and things will happen over time. So it's um, franchising industry is like any industry. Everyone knows everyone at the end of the day and behave, <laughs> be nice to people and um, things will things will happen for you it's, it's funny it's everyone says it don't they it's a small world but um yeah be a be a good human being is i guess what you're saying there which i like yeah. i like that yeah. so yeah. um one final question then so what practical advice would you give to anybody who's thinking about getting into franchising i think i've mentioned it already just make sure that you love what you're going to be doing um if you don't love it choose something else um find that thing that you want to do and just just go for it if it feels right and if if you've got the support of family and friends just go for it awesome phil thank you so much for your time today and for your advice okay. and for for sharing your insights it's been uh, really interesting to to, to 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 hear all of that so um if anybody wants to reach out to you at any point where's where's the best place for them to find you um linkedin so phil mowat p-h-i-l-m-o-w-a-t uh, or via ashton's franchise consulting thank you awesome. very much thanks so much for your time phil take care cheers ed cheers so there we go that was my conversation with phil mowat franchise development consultant for ashton's consulting now listening back to this episode I have to say, we covered quite a bit of ground. I was quite surprised. It felt like an easy chat with Phil, I guess because we've known each other for a little while. But some of the key things that really stuck out for me in, in my time working with Phil, as well as from recording this podcast, were having somebody who's going to be account you're going to have to be accountable for is really useful for anybody looking to get into franchising. Um, it's very good having goals and targets and, and knowing the activities you need to achieve to get there but it's quite easy for us as human beings just to, to go off track slightly so having somebody whether that's a consultant or your partner or coach or whoever it may be to hold you accountable is really invaluable I think and, and I've experienced it in my own business as well my own work life I guess I mean and um 
having a manager there is is the easy way in employment you know that that that's their job they're getting paid to do that but trying to find somebody else is it can be quite a challenge the other thing that I wanted to talk about was managed service fees you might have heard the the, the term MSFs before quite a few times and I thought I should explain what they are so ultimately a managed service fee is an ongoing fee that is typically paid on a monthly basis and is a percentage of your cash receipts that your business has earned under that franchise during that period of time. They typically go towards ongoing support and, and uh, any other tools and, and, and things that you're getting from the franchisor. But it also is where they make their main profit, which I think is a really interesting model because they're actually incentivized to make sure you succeed. And um, managed service fees, whilst they may seem like a, a pain in the ass, and some people know them as royalties, they can actually be a good thing if you leverage them to, to make sure the franchisor is working hard on your behalf. So, so don't be afraid or put off by MSFs. There's um, something that's, that's really good. But Phil made a, a particularly good point that thinking about those managed service fees, the percentage rate that you're being charged is going to balance out to the amount of support you're getting from that franchisor. So the higher the percentage, the more likely you're going to have a really hands-on franchisor who's who's um, really motivated to make you succeed. The lower the percentage, the more likely they are to be a little bit more hands-off. So something to bear in mind. But um, that's pretty much everything from me. I don't want to waffle on for too long. So hopefully you've enjoyed. If you have, you know, all the good stuff to do sharing and liking and all of that and again thank you for for your support and for listening it is really much appreciated catch you on the next one